The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. My name is Sarah Jessup. I'm a senior program officer at the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. Joining me today at NCUSCR China Podcast is Ann Kokos, assistant professor of media studies at the University of Virginia, and is also part of our fifth cohort of the Public Intellectuals Program at the National Committee. And Ann has published widely, most recently this year, as the author of her book *Hollywood Made in China*, which is about the developing synergy and business ventures between the U.S. and the Chinese film industries, or more accurately, between Hollywood and the PRC government. Um, Ann, thanks for. Taking the time to come talk with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. I wanted to talk about the sort of most basic issue in the book, which is, or the sort of preliminary issue: Why does China want to go to Hollywood, so to speak? What's in it for China, and also what's in it for the U.S.? Why didn't China continue to develop its own film industry, sort of like a Bollywood? So there, so there are a lot of different trends that are happening at the same time. So one is Hollywood studios trying to enter the Chinese market. And making films there, and the reason for that is that the Chinese market is the second largest film market in the world,、um, and through 2015 was growing far faster than the U.S. market.、Um, in 2016, the market growth slowed a little bit, but Hollywood investment in China is one strategy for entering the market because there's a, a quota on the number of films that can enter in, in any given year. Now, Chinese investment entering into the U.S. is an interesting phenomenon in the sense that it Follows a lot of the traditional patterns of technology transfer that we can that we think about、um, with regard to Chinese investment in American companies, but also is a form of、um, income, or it's also a form of uh, revenue dis- uh, diversification. So a hedge against potential instability in the Chinese market. Now, one of the things that we saw, one of the things that we have seen this past year, is that the Chinese government has actually started to limit the amount of outbound investment that it's allowing.、Um, That it's allowing foreign, or it's allowing Chinese domestic firms to use. So this has had an impact on Hollywood. Now at the same time, the U.S. Congress and now the U.S. Executive Branch are also talking about how they want to limit Chinese investment in the U.S. for national security reasons. So we're seeing this dual crunch that that may actually constrain the amount of Chinese investment in Hollywood, but actually doesn't constrain Hollywood investment in China. Oh, that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit about what is co-production and what are the challenges for making an international hit? Yeah, so co-production has different meanings in the U.S. context and in the Chinese context. In the U.S. context, a co-production can be something as simple as shared financing,、mm-hmm. whereas in the Chinese context, this is a technical term that is determined by the State Administration of Press, Publication, Radio, Film, and Television, China's major media regulator, and a co-production can circumvent that film quota, that film entry、mm-hmm. quota, into the Chinese market, but has to be approved at every stage from pre-production all the way through distribution for it to count as a Chinese domestic film,、um, even if it has a lot of Hollywood investment. Now, this offers. Some interesting incentives for Hollywood studio for Hollywood studios because they can more likely and have let them un- enter the market. However, they're also yielding a huge amount of control over the of the films over to Chinese regulators. 
So I guess this is a question that ties a little bit into the first one. Is what's in it, is it for the U.S., is it mostly a financial interest for Hollywood, I mean, for going into China? Are there any sort of creative opportunities or any non-financial incentives? I think it really depends on the production. So a lot of what I focus on in my book are big budget blockbuster films that are produced by U.S. media conglomerates that are trying to increase their quarterly profits. So from that perspective, while there there may be people involved in the process, and frequently are people involved in the process who are interested in these creative endeavors, the larger the larger forces animating the productions and kind of getting them greenlit are not necessarily creative. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, there are actually a lot of independent filmmakers who are interested in making films between China and the United States. And at that point, a lot of these stories tend to become much more richly intercultural. So. Um, there's a, a, a small romantic comedy called um, uh, Shanghai Calling, which mm-hmm. is about this, you know, a relationship between an, an expatriate Chinese American and oh, you wrote you know, about this. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So there, so there are some kind of independent films that look at these at these at these cosmopolitan spaces in which foreigner um, foreign residents of China engage with people domestically, and there's this kind of rich cultural cross pollination. Mm-hmm. However. For the most part, that is not what we see. Yeah. Well, can we expect to see um, sort of more um, Chinese in American films? Will there be um, a sort of different type of American film for these co-productions coming into the American market? I think we can definitely anticipate that we'll see more Chinese actors in American films. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a relatively easy form of collaboration because it doesn't require official approval by... um, by the Chinese government. It also, you know, it doesn't really risk triggering any of these capital control issues yeah. in the Chinese domestic market. And it has the potential to expand Hollywood's reach both in China and to counter some critiques that it's, you know, the, the hashtag Oscar is so white critiques of, you know, Hollywood's yeah. um, whitewashing. That being said, we have seen there is a lot of churn in, currently in the U.S.-China trade relationship. And if there are, if things like a 45% tariff yeah. happen, <laughs> um, <laughs> all bets are off, yeah. frankly. Yeah. So. yeah. And the, is the quota still 34 movies? Did that change this year? So the quota, so the quota is really interesting. Technically, China should have their, technically the Chinese market should be open, should be open far more than 34 films. Um, it should be completely open it to the U.S. market. However, China has not officially honored its WTO agreement. And the 34-film quota was a negotiation that occurred after a 2007 um, case that the U.S. brought against China in um, the WTO court. There was a U.S.-China film agreement that was signed, or that was agreed to in 2012, officially signed and uh, ratified in 2015, that allowed for this 34-film quota. Now, the the U.S.-China film agreement is actually currently being renegotiated. It expires this month. Mm-hmm. And then if it's not renegotiated, it, it'll be very interesting to see uh-huh. what happens. If the U.S. takes the complaint into the WTO, if the market just opens up mm-hmm. because there has been an interest in expanding the number of Hollywood films that are shown in the Chinese market on the Chinese side. So we'll really have to see what happens there. But it's it's definitely an interesting area, particularly given the fact that this is one of the first major Sino-U.S. trade deals that our new administration will have the chance to negotiate. Right. Right. It's, it seems like it's such a carefully managed relationship in yes. cultural content, financial in- investment. Absolutely. 
Can you talk a little bit about sort of the shaping of content, how people feel about that and how the sort of Hollywood producers feel about their content being censored um, and also how the what image of China China wants to project? Like what kind of China are they trying to help us understand? Yeah, so the content control question is really interesting. On one hand, it's important to note that all films that are distributed in in the theater in Chinese theaters have to be have to be available to general audiences. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why a lot of you know sex and violence are cut out. It's very similar to the U.S. Um, prior to the MPA rating system. Oh. So from that perspective, those are those are changes that studios are kind of cognizant of and and are willing to make. Then there are these questions of what China looks like to a global audience. So for example, in Mission Impossible Three, there were images of elderly people um, on the streets in China and, and you know laundry hanging that didn't that didn't jibe with the larger image of China, of Shanghai as a global city that were cut and mm. that's that's Too one village yeah. yeah exactly that's one small example but it kind of is consistent with a, with a form of content control which which was largely affiliated with is this representing a vision of global China that is consistent with the you know kind of standard um, government um, vision of that now there is all there are also issues related to representation of government officials, mm-hmm. um, and for example, in in Skyfall, James Bond, a UK intelligence official officer, was not allowed to shoot a Chinese bodyguard because of how that represented the right. political relationship. So there are some interesting examples of how all of this plays out. And those haven't really affected the sort of content of the movie. They're sort of a little no. bit on the edges so far anyway. Though there are actually films that are, there are actually films that have rejected this, um, that have rejected Chinese content control and have just not been distributed in China. So for example, Deadpool um, is a film that would have done quite well in the Chinese box office. It's kind of consistent with the sort of movie that, you know, has a, a large spectacle and does yeah. really well on, you know, 3D and these yeah. gigantic the- these gigantic theater screens. Um, but because of the language in the film, the filmmakers actually declined to um, to make any changes. And the film yeah. still did really well, uh, but there are there are examples of people pushing back as well. Would there be a case where a film is released in the U.S. and it doesn't do so well, so they say, well, let's clean it up and try and see if we can send it to China and recoup some of our finances? I mean, can you see that happening? You know, like, are they thinking strategically, Yeah, we need it to be in China? I mean, I think that actually happens in the pre-production phases, Mm -hmm. like, even at the point when, like, scripts are being chosen. So I think it's not a coincidence that three major, big-budget, space-related sci-fi Films, Arrival, Gravity, and um, and The Martian all have Chinese themes and Sino-U.S. space collaboration. Yeah, which is something that doesn't exist in the real world. It's almost. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it does, but you yeah. know, in, in very, very much more limited scope than yeah. is represented in, in these films. So, in some ways, this is a form of a fiction that Hollywood is generating about the Sino-U.S. relationship, which is very interesting, yeah. um, especially for scholars who who study that that aspect of the relationship. Absolutely. And and do, do um, is there a feeling that the legitimacy might be um, questioned that the U, for the US producers and directors that they how do they feel about content being shaped? Well, I think it really depends on the on the filmmaker. Yeah. Um, and and the budget, frankly. Um, so films that have bigger budgets have you know have to earn 
I mean, all films should try to aspire to earn 2.5 times the amount that they um, that they cost to uh, make. That's the metric. That's, that's the metric. Uh-huh. And so having access to a successful Chinese box office uh, return makes that easier to achieve since it's the second largest box office in the world and larger than the next three markets combined. Wow. Um, well, Anne, thank you so much for coming today. I, thanks very much for talking to me, and we'll talk later. Thank you so much for your support of Hollywood Made in China. <laughs> <laughs>